Well, good morning, church. Nick, thank you and the team for that great worship, uh, getting our minds and hearts set for the word this morning. So I've got good news and bad news. The bad news, our dear pastor is away today uh, with his wife, Kara, enjoying some time and celebrating their anniversary. Um, the good news is this fifth or sixth stringer that we've talked about before is not bringing you the word today. We have, instead, we have another first stringer here, uh, probably a man that you um, know, if not personally, maybe over the, the TV, a former pastor at Grove Avenue Baptist Church for about 18 years. So those days when we were at home sick or snowed out, I know many of us turned to, um, I don't remember which channel it was, but Grove Avenue Baptist Church online at, on TV at 11 o'clock every, uh, every Sunday morning. And so uh, this man's uh, face and his voice will be familiar to you. And we're really blessed to have Dr. Mark Becton um, here with us today. I would just like for us to pray for just a minute, then I'll ask Mark to come up and, and share God's Word. Father, we are so grateful that you have brought all of us together here today at this place, at this hour, at this time, to come together in your name, to hear your Word, to share God's love with one another, and for us, Father, to worship you. And we just are so grateful that uh, Dr. Mark Becton is here today to, uh, to share uh, your word with us. So prepare our hearts and our minds to hear the word. And Father, give Mark the, uh, the word today to bring to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dr. Mark Becton, come on up, sir. Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and find Nehemiah chapter 1. While you're finding Nehemiah chapter 1, I've already thanked James a couple of times over the phone for letting me fill in for him. It's truly a privilege to worship with you. And I am grateful to Nick and to Holly for the way that y'all have led worship today. It's been meaningful for Lori and me uh, to have this time together with y'all. Uh, what I'm about to do this morning may seem cruel in some ways, but actually it's probably the most loving thing that I can do. We're going to talk about brokenness. And that's a heavy thing to start off with an early Sunday morning because candidly we'd rather come into church and hear messages on hope or the comfort of God or um, His presence all of these things that assure us. But candidly, we cannot experience those in their fullest without first going through some brokenness. So we're going to take time to do that today and utilize Nehemiah's brokenness kind of as an example. And my hope is this. We'll be looking at understanding what brokenness is and also trying to embrace brokenness instead of trying to run from it. Candidly, brokenness is painful. And none of us volunteer for that. So I want us to look at its process so when the Father so lovingly prompts us and carries us through that, we don't resist. We thank Him for it. So we'll try to embrace the process of brokenness and then finally talk about praying broken. 
Because I, I wish I could say brokenness is a one and done moment in life. It's not. In fact, to walk with Christ is to walk with Him daily in a submitted, broken dependence upon Him. So we'll talk about praying broken. Right. I'm also grateful for all the prayers. Already I know the men had gathered earlier this morning to pray over this time and to, to have Tim praying at this moment and then Lori prayed in the car on the way here. There's a lot of prayer already carried this that I've heard about and there's even the prayers the Father has heard that have come from you and others about this moment. So trusting that. Let's look at scripture together, all right? Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Nehemiah is writing and says, When I heard these words, words given to him by his kinsmen of the condition of Jerusalem, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps His gracious covenant with those who love Him and keep His commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles are banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to receive your name. Give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. At that time, I was the king's cupbearer. You can read the brokenness. Now, you didn't read the words broken. You didn't read brokenness as a term in the text. But it is described, particularly in verse 4. Look at that. Verse 4 says... When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The Hebrew describes this weeping and mourning as something different than you and I might picture. As a grown man with just a stream of 
of tears just trickling down his face, that silent cry. This is not that type of mourning. This is the open mouth wail before God. Broken over his sins and the sins of the people. You'll find Jeremiah talking the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, where scripture uses the term broken. So if you were to describe this brokenness, if you're to, to give a definition of this brokenness, you're, you're looking at a life-stopping mix of pain and grieving and, and fear and contrition. But what moves me most and what is hard to understand is that when the Father brings us to a place of such pain and fear and contrition before Him, God has purposed that moment in our lives. We're not hearing that preached too often. The Father who is all-knowing and all-powerful will know in advance the circumstance coming that may bring brokenness. The all-knowing God will know when you are in the midst of a circumstance or an awareness that surfaces brokenness. But He's not just all-knowing, He's also all-powerful. So if an all-knowing God knows the circumstance is coming or that you are in it that is bringing brokenness, if He did not divert it, if He did not protect you from it, then the all-powerful God purposed it so that in the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, in the feelings of Fear over the what-ifs that could happen or the disappointment of what truly has happened. All that is overwhelming. If an all-powerful, all-knowing God had not protected you, then He has purposed it. Why? To reveal Himself to you. But also to reveal to your eyes how you stand before Him. Excuse me. The amazing thing is, I said this is an act of love by God. When the Father purposes brokenness that leads to revealing Himself to us and ourselves to ourselves, what comes out of brokenness is awe. Awe of an amazing God awe of the truths that He has proclaimed in advance that we see to be more true than we ever realized. All that leads to worship and worship that leads to a display of His glory. You find this in Acts chapter 2 when there's a painful moment. The Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and the description is that the people are pierced at the heart. It's the word conviction. And it literally means a stabbing at your being so they are in pain. And yet the pain reveals to them the goodness of God and His grace. 
compared to their sin and they confess and they repent. And out of the pain there is all and out of all there is the birth of the church. It is an amazing thing that begins with a loving God prompting brokenness. However, I think we see even more when we move to the process of brokenness. You'll find it in verses 4 through 10. When we look at the process, my whole aim with this, for you and for me, is to not run from those broken moments, but to actually seek the Father in them. Now, as we go through this process that you're going to see in Nehemiah's life, it's going to sound nice and neat and linear uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like we're flowing the process that's happening in Nehemiah's life. And two, that's the way I like to see things, nice and neat and linear. However, when the Father brings us to brokenness, He can start at any place in this process and start there and bring us to brokenness. So let's look at the process. It begins in verses 1 through 4. We didn't read verses 1 through 3. But in 1 through 4, you have what's called sudden awareness. With sudden awareness, you find Nehemiah having received word from his kinsmen of the condition of Jerusalem. Its walls are broken down, its gates have been burned with fire, and the people are in distress. That's what his kinsmen have told them. That's what prompted verse 4 where he begins to weep and mourn. When you look at the text, it's not as though in the text that this has been an inching in Nehemiah's life toward brokenness. This is an immediate overwhelming of brokenness. And you go further into the text, go to chapter 2, the first opening verses, you're going to find a three-month span will gap chapters 1 and chapter 2. And he is still consumed by this so much when he goes to do his job, which is cut bare to the king. The king can notice his distraught nature even in his work. There's a sudden awareness, a sudden heaviness that has just overwhelmed him with brokenness. Awareness of what? The best way I can describe this sudden awareness is when God causes us to see what He sees the way He sees it. Much of my life, I, I, I can probably have a sight line to what God has His sight line on, but I can't tell you that I'm seeing it the way He's seeing it. But now Nehemiah is looking back to Jerusalem and God has already put them in their 70 year time out. He purposed them to be captured by the Babylonians because they were so disrespectful, so disobedient, so stubborn to God. So he put them in a horrible time out. After 70 years, he released them to go back. Some have stayed like Nehemiah, another 70 years still in Babylon. So it's been 140 years and Nehemiah sees the condition of the walls and the condition of the people as God sees them and weeps over them. 
It doesn't have to be just the circumstance that surprises you. It can be also the emotions that surprise you with brokenness. I saw this uh, with my wife, Lori, when the father just placed a brokenness on her heart for exploited women. I can tell you the day that it happened when a young woman came to the receiving line at our church and she was heavy over exploitation, shared it with Lori. And Lori said, let's talk some more. And it just began and it was a brokenness that would not go away. I saw it for me uh, after the surgical experience when I understood that time was short and many must come and that restlessness for the established church that we don't have time to play church anymore. And there was a brokenness that remains. It's when the Father causes you to see what He sees the way that He sees it and it just consumes you. It doesn't make you more holy than anyone else. It just breaks you. And with that brokenness, it moves to the very next phase. Out of that brokenness, you want to see God. And, and honestly, in seeing God, you, you begin to understand why you haven't seen these other things before the way you're seeing them now. And it's in seeing God you realize what those blockers have been. You find this in verses 4 through the first half of verse 6. Look at it. It says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps His gracious covenant with those who love Him and keep His commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. What he does in this prayer is powerful. He distinguishes it twice. He says, I'm praying to the God of heaven. We would read through it quickly, but it was significant for Nehemiah. For all these years, 140 years that Israelites now have some remained in Israel. Some been there 70 years back in Jerusalem. But over those decades, they were influenced by the gods of Persia. And the gods of Persia were created in the minds of the Persians for the things that they saw. Gods out of creation that they saw and then worshipped. And for Nehemiah to say this, he is distinguishing his prayer. Not to the gods of the Persians who made the gods how they wanted them to be. But to Yahweh. Latin Jehovah that we sang about. That's the word used here for God of heaven. And that word means I am. This is what Moses heard on Mount Sinai when he has the encounter in the burning bush. And who, who, how, how do I tell Israel? Who do I tell Israel has spoken to me? Tell them it's Yahweh, the I am. This is a huge difference and it's a great word and here's why. Too many times we're like the Persians. Even sadly as followers of Christ, we can still picture God and make Him what we want Him to be so that His likes are our likes. 
what we allow and what we see as acceptable, well, he will see acceptable. But Nehemiah now is before a holy God and says, you are not who I have created. You are not how anyone has created. You have your own mind. You have your own will. You are the I am. Therefore, I come before you to see this moment as you see it. Which then has changed his whole lens so that he now can see himself. He can see the Israelites and he can see the whole picture, not through an old lens, but through the lens of having been with God which is the next phase in this process of brokenness. A change of eyes. You're now seeing yourself and seeing others and seeing the whole. You find this in verses 6 and 7. Look what it says. Let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. And now you understand what I call the, the blockers to brokenness that have been there. Farsightedness. It's a beautiful statement of pronouns in this where he is now saying it's not just my sins. He's saying we have sinned. I've been a pastor for 35 years and I grew up in the home of a pastor. So I, I've been in church all my life. And what I'm about to say is common of not just church, but it can be common of pastors. We're quick to see everybody else's sin. We're quick to be gracious, say, oh, I just hate that for them. I wish that were not so. Or to be adversarial and try to distance ourselves from them because of their sin. As a pastor, I've struggled with congregations much of my life. And it wasn't until my latter years at Grove that the Father was so gracious to me at revealing my sin. That I had created an us against them mentality. Me against the church. And he had to remind me there is no us and them. You are as much a part of the body as they are. Therefore, it's your sin. It's a humbling thing to come to admit, friends. In 1 Chronicles 12, in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the church being a body of believers. And each body is connected and each has a role or function given differently by the Holy Spirit, which is a beautiful thing. But since we are connected as a body, 
Do you understand if I broke my leg, I'm handicapped for weeks because of one limb. Are you following me now? Therefore, do you understand if there is sin in your life, which I love you as a brother and sister, there is. If there is sin in my life, and I'm telling you as your brother, there is. Then your sin affects me. Do you understand my sin affects you? So as we talk about sin within our lives, it should be with a tone of grace. Instead of separating disgrace that they have sin and we don't. There needs to be that humbled brokenness. Because here's the beauty of the body. Just as your sin affects me and my sin affects you, do you understand your brokenness before a holy God directly affects me. My brokenness before a holy God directly impacts you because we are in the body. And Nehemiah saw that how it affected the whole. And you and I are talking about that affecting the whole. So once the Father has brought us to this place, what do we do with it? The next phase in this brokenness is to be specific in confessing what the Father has revealed. Uh, you find this in Nehemiah chapter 1 and specifically in verse 7. It says, we have acted corruptly toward you. And have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. I love that. We have acted corruptly toward you. And then he gets specific. We have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances uh, you gave your servant Moses. Basically, we have not upheld the vow that we made to be a people exclusive unto you. Translate that to the New Testament. You might as well go to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Remember that? So our sense of confession has to be regarding anything where we have been disobedient in observing anything he has commanded us to do and to be. Specific. Let's talk about specific confession. A verse that's really helpful to me is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess that's used there in the New Testament is a Greek word that basically means to come to an agreement. To say the same thing. The beauty of confession is when the Father has surfaced this within, out of love, has surfaced it within so that you and I can see what He's seeing in the way that He is seeing it. And now can have that beautiful confession, yes, I agree, this is the separating sin. This is the corrupting sin in my relationship with you and my eyes to the world and everything else. This is it. I agree with you. This is it. And therefore I ask forgiveness. I repent. I confess. 
Friends, too often our confession is lazy. And I mean this lovingly as one among you. Where we confess with generalities. Forgive me of the sins I have committed and forgive me of things that I didn't know I've done. And we think with that blanket statement, we are covered. What if in the prayer the Father said, what sin? I'm holding you accountable. Name it. That's the beauty of this text because you'll find Nehemiah in the text also saying, I am your servant. I'm your servant. This is that humble place before a holy God that causes him to sense accountability to a holy God. Now, if you take this word servant into the New Testament, it's a whole different term. The Apostle Paul uses it a lot to say slave, to which I I know I am a slave to you, God, my master, and I am accountable to you in all things. There is a humility there to come before a holy God who is gracious and good and say, this is what you've surfaced out of your goodness and I praise you, but I ask your forgiveness specifically in this. When you and I get to the place of specific confession, then we get to the final phase. We once again embrace God's promises. You see this in Nehemiah's actions. You find it in Nehemiah chapter 1, and verses 8 through 10. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the ends of the earth, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. You made a promise, Father, and we praise you that you will uphold it. We turn to you. We will experience afresh what you had always promised. This was what God promised to them in Deuteronomy 30, 1 Kings chapter 8, and of course 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Return to me and our relationship is restored in full. It's a beautiful thing and God fulfills His promises. And more than that, not just the promise of a relationship, but the promise of the beauty of displaying the glory of God. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus Christ in John 17 prays for us. He prays that we would be one. The oneness is talking about an intimacy with the Father. I want them to be one with you, Father, just as I am with you. But I also want that intimacy of oneness with the Father to be seen in their intimacy with each other. And it's a beautiful thing. So why does Christ pray that? Eight to nine times in John 17, he'll say, I'm praying these things, Lord, that you are glorified. Because you will be seen as great through the intimacy of the people with you and the intimacy of the people with each other. And that's what happens when you find people going through brokenness with a holy God and a good God who will prompt and lead the brokenness. I'm reading a book now by Jonathan Goforth. It reads as a journal of the movement of God in China. 
around the year 1905, some years before, a few years after. He was there and experienced this, and the, the beauty of it is he just tells us what he saw God doing. And what he saw God doing was go forth, would go from village to village and from town to town as he would go into them. Guess what would happen? The churches of followers, the followers there, the, the leaders of those churches would meet him in advance. And they begin to tell him about the sin that's happening in their church. And then tell them about the stubbornness about that sin and how what they're hearing in the movement of God in this town just won't affect their town. Too much sin, too much stubbornness. Go forth, arrives, and leads them in a time of prayer and just watches the Spirit of God take over a body of people. And the beauty of it is they begin to confess their sins. There's a brokenness. What was dramatic is even those who were followers but did not experience that same brokenness were criticizing those who did because they were calling them excessive. Why were they excessive? You're in a Chinese culture. What's important? Saving face. Always has been. And yet you've got grown men in the midst of the congregation weeping openly before a holy God and confessing their sins. And a culture doesn't understand that. Save face. Honestly, this is not China, but America has her own save face mentality. And yet they would weep. We would have men in China who were known for beating their wives that no longer beat their wives. Adultery that was taken place that was confessed before the father. You had those in business transactions that would fudge for their own benefit and doing so rob others and confess it. And much like a Zacchaeus moment, give back even with interest. And all of this was, being ha was happening within the churches such that in one town, the people saw what was happening among the followers and how it translated in the relationships to others outside the body. And the people of the town said, a new Jesus has come. Why that term? Because eight years earlier, the Spirit of God had moved among them just like that. But over time, the fallen nature of the followers just crept back in. And now they're seeing it afresh and saying a new Jesus has come just like we had seen eight years earlier. Do you see how it glorifies God? How good God is. And there's the beauty and the delight of being one with God. No wonder it is an act of love by a holy God to bring us to brokenness. But since we can easily over time get residual of our own sin just collecting on us, how, how do we live broken? It's the last thing here. It's prayer. You find this in verse 11. Look what it says. Nehemiah prays, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. At that time, 
I was the king's cupbearer. God will do a dramatic work in Nehemiah's life and through Nehemiah's life that will bring a revival to Israel as well as a rebuilding of the walls. But for that to take place, you will find prayer recorded 12 times in the book of Nehemiah. Some will be his alone. Some is when he's calling the people to prayer. Because candidly, friends, we cannot go through the brokenness without communication with the one who has led us into brokenness. We can't discern what he's wanting to reveal about himself, about us, and to see it the way he is seeing it without earnestly spending time and conversation with him in prayer. So, where does that leave us? Lovingly, my hope in doing this is to simply put before you what a loving God does. So that when you are in a moment where you are sensing that brokenness coming over, you don't fight it or run from it. You thank the Father for it and step into it, knowing that on the other end is such beauty and joy, awe and delight and a glorifying of God that you could have never seen or experienced or displayed without stepping into that brokenness. So for these next moments, can I just pray and then I'm just going to lead us into a season of prayer. All right. So let's bow together just for a moment. Father. You know, my prayer has been and I asked a brother to pray it last night. Let us not manipulate the moment. Help me not manipulate the moment. Father, I do, though, want to be a guide in either preparing us for brokenness you will purpose, encouraging us in brokenness we are in, and above all, glorifying you through it all. So, Father, in these next moments of prayer, just lead us. In Jesus' name. Still prayerful right where you are. Can I just guide? I wrote down about five different prayers. I just want you to use this in a moment. Number one, Father... Thank you for causing my brokenness. Help me not avoid you or it. Would you pray that silently? 
pray this. Father, keep me broken and submissive to you. I know that's when I see you best and display your greatness most. Father, help me not grow weary with brokenness and dependence on you. Father, may the way you break me encourage brokenness in others. And may the brokenness you cause help us display your goodness and the gospel to others. And Father, glorify yourself through however you choose to break me today. We pray this together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?